Hello there, Patriots fans, and welcome on into episode 10 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great people at SB Nation. I'm Mark Schofield, happy to be with you on Saturday, November 16th, as another weekend of football awaits. Now, each Saturday, Radio Rewind will bring you the best of what the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network had to offer over the course of the previous week from all of our shows. From the flagship Pat's Pulpit Podcast with Rich Hill and Alex Shane, to Patriot Nation from Pat Lane and Ryan Spagnoli, a brand new show, Pulpit Playback, and of course, The Sco Show with yours truly. In addition, this will give us a Pat's Pulpit, a chance to get you caught up with any last-minute news before the weekend gets rolling, and also some col- cover some college games and even players that should be on your radar if you're looking for something to do on Saturday. Don't forget, these are just snippets of the shows you'll hear every day on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. You can get these by subscribing to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave reviews for us as well. Five-star reviews are always appreciated. Now, we usually hit the Patriots injury news at this point, as well as the injury news for their upcoming opponents. But of course, there is a bigger football story to talk about right now. You probably, unless you've been on an island, living under a rock. You've probably been made aware of what happened at the end of the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game on Thursday night. And the NFL did levy some suspensions. The biggest one, of course, for defensive end Miles Garrett, who has been suspended without pay indefinitely. And the NFL added that at a minimum, Garrett will miss the regular season and postseason as a result of his actions in the conflict. And you've probably seen it, taking the helmet of quarterback Mason Rudolph and swinging it at him. In addition, other players suspended included Marquise Pouncey from the Steelers, Leon Joby from the Cleveland Browns, Pouncey for one game, the Browns teammate of Garrett suspended for one game, Pouncey for three games, excuse me. The NFL was also going to find Rudolph for his role in the brawl, according to the NFL Network's Tom Palacero. Now, perhaps the interesting part of this, from an almost legal standpoint, is Mason Rudolph's attorneys and agent are apparently looking into whether they will bring a civil action against him. And there is a potential avenue for that, not to get completely nerdy, but there is a case dating back to 1979 that I read in law school. Hendricks is the name of the case where actions on a football field that are expected to take place in the course of a game, like a hit or something like that, you can't really sue somebody for that. That's sort of assumed. It's an assumption of the risk. When you play a game like football, you expect that there might be hard hits, hard tackles, and things like that. But an act that is not commonplace in the course of a game, such as swinging a helmet at somebody, there's a potential for liability there. So that's going to be interesting to watch. I'm sure there will be lots of law school final exam questions, especially for 1Ls taking torts, that are going to address this. But that's that story. Of course, we've got a football game coming up. The Patriots... Finally coming off there by, get a chance to go down I-95 a bit, take on the Philadelphia Eagles in what's looking to be a critical game for both teams. Now for the Patriots, they need to sort of get back in the whim column after that loss to Baltimore before the bye, probably leaving a bad taste in their mouths. And then Philadelphia, they're in the thick of it in a tough NFC East race. And both teams somewhat banged up. Patriots less so. Teams releasing their final injury report now they have the Patriots do a bunch of patient players listed as questionable, including Damian Harris, Gunnar Olszewski, Matt Lacoste, Danny Shelton, John Simon, Patrick Chun, and Nate Ebner. They were listed as questionable. Those are the only players on the final injury report for New England. 
Now, the Eagles are much more banged up. We know Deshaun Jackson is out for the season. The wide receiver room gets worse for them. Alshon Jeffrey is out with an ankle injury, and linebacker Nigel Bradham is also out with an ankle injury. Running back Jordan Howard is questionable with a shoulder injury. He was limited at practice. He had a stinner, according to Doug Peterson, that he suffered in their game against Chicago two weeks ago, and he is yet to be cleared for practice. It's probably not a good sign that he's going to be able to go. Now, what does this mean for Philadelphia? Jordan Matthews might be their biggest receiver right now, and they just signed him off the street. Outside of him, look, you've got Nelson Aguilar, who's had his struggles. You've got Mac Hollins, who's had his struggles at times too. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, the rookie, second-round pick, hasn't quite lived up to the hype. They're banged up. But at the same time, this is a team that runs 12 personnel, two tight ends, 40% of the time, more than anybody else in the league. So we just might see a lot more of Zach Ertz and Carson Wentz. What could this also mean? You might see Stephon Gilmore on Zach Ertz a lot Sunday afternoon because without Sean Jeffrey out, Deshaun Jackson out, the rest of the receivers probably don't scare you. The guy that probably scares you the most is Zach Ertz. So you might take your best cover player and put him on him. So that's going to be something extremely interesting to watch. Let's talk about the college game for a moment here. And using the rake scale that I brought out last week, this is, I'd say, a three-rake day. Last week was a one-rake day, right? You wanted to get the yard work done because, look, you had Alabama, LSU. You wanted to watch that. This week, it's, a, it's, a, it's an okay Saturday slate of games which is why I'm saying it's a three-rake day. If you get some yard work, you could probably do it, get caught up late afternoon. It's not something where you want to make sure everything's done by noon or at least 2.30, 3.30 because you've got some great games to watch. It's not like a five-rake day. Like a five-rake day is that second week of the college football season when you know the teams play like Alabama plays like some FCS school. Everybody's playing like FCS schools. Maybe you had like one good rivalry game the first week, but then it's a bad week. That's a five-rake day. This is a three-rake day. You get Alabama on a noontime kickoff, but at Mississippi State, wouldn't want to be Mississippi State this week. You know, you get number nine, Penn State in the noontime hour as well. Wisconsin at Nebraska, Michigan State, Michigan. Those are noontime games. Yeah, you get a rivalry game, Michigan State, Michigan, but not a lot of excitement there. Things pick up a bit in the 2.30 hour. Navy, Notre Dame, both teams ranked. It's not often that both Navy and Notre Dame are ranked when they meet, but you get that game going off at 2.30. And in the 3.30 hour, that sort of afternoon time slate, best game is probably that Georgia-Auburn game. Georgia snuck into the top four. They're in a playoff position right now, but they got a tough one here at Auburn, and I don't think people expect Georgia to be there when all is said and done. Ohio State makes a trip to Rutgers. They're going to be without a lot of players, but it doesn't matter because Rutgers is awful. And I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this could suit up for Ohio State and Ohio State would still win. So that's not going to be too exciting. As we get into the afternoon and evening hours, Minnesota at Iowa are Gophers. That's right. Minnesota Golden Gophers, fresh off a huge win over Penn State. They are 9-0. They are in first place in the Big Ten West. Huge victory over Penn State. Now they get a chance to back it up. They've got a tough stretch the rest of the way. They go at Iowa, at Northwestern, then home their rivalry game against Wisconsin. They're still, though, in the driver's seat to win that Big Ten West and square off with Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. But their number eight trip to Iowa. Iowa a bit underwhelming this year. Usually their offensive line is a much more cohesive group. They're really struggling, I think, watching them 
try to run outside zone, which is usually their bread and butter. They're struggling doing that. So that will be a game to keep an eye on in the 4 p.m. hour. Then the primetime games, best one's probably Oklahoma-Baylor 10-13 matchup. That's at Baylor, 7.30 p.m. on ABC. And then if you like the Pac-12 after dark, UCLA, Utah, that's an intriguing game to think about from a Pac-12 stand-in standpoint because UCLA, believe it or not, they've started to creep up over the past couple of weeks. Not saying that they're like full-on in contention, but look, Utah's 5-1 and one in the conference. UCLA's 4-2. and two. There's a window for UCLA after their difficult start. It's sitting there with a, you know, 4-5 and five record overall to get back in the mix of things in the Big 12, make some noise, in the, excuse me, in the Pac-12, and make some noise in the Pac-12 South. And they get a chance, a huge opportunity this weekend against Utah. Utah, a tremendous defense. They've only given up 81 points this season. That is by far the fewest amounts of points allowed by any team in the Pac-12, North or South. This is a big one for Utah, but UCLA has an outside chance to get back in the mix here. And UCLA, it's probably flying under the radar for most people, but they've been doing a fantastic job in the last couple of weeks on the recruiting trail. They've been getting some big-time commits and some recommits. And so UCLA, future looking a little bit bright for the Bruins. But that will do it for the college slate of games. Up next, the meat of this show. Some of the best of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network had to offer over the previous week. That's ahead on episode 10 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 10 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. And it's time now to take a look back at some of the best we had for you this week at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. And coming off the bye, this was a bit of a quieter week, not as many episodes as you usually get as we didn't have much to talk about. But but we were back with you on Wednesday with episode 38 of The Sco Show. And in this clip, I talk about Carson Wentz and hesitation. Carson Wentz hesitating, not trusting what he's seeing. And it stems from this sort of lack of confidence that he has right now in his receiving targets. He has been plagued by drops, missed opportunities, and that passing game has not been as good as it could be as a result. And yes, part of it is a failure by the receivers to execute, but now we've got doubt creeping into the mind of Carson Wentz and he's starting to hesitate on plays when he needs to be getting the ball out quicker and where we've sometimes seen him do that. In the video that I did, I highlighted him running Haas Concepts where he's got no hesitation whatsoever. But here against Dallas a couple weeks ago, you see that hesitation. Now he fixed it a couple weeks ago against the Bills, they went into New Era Field and they beat Buffalo and you saw a bit more decisiveness from Carson Wentz. But then they had some drops again against Chicago and now they've had their bye and they've had two weeks to sort of think about it. And so there might be another instance, another opportunity for the New England Patriots and their vaunted defense to exploit the hesitation from a young quarterback, a quarterback who was drafted one pick behind Jared Goff, who they beat in last year's Super Bowl. Now, while the hesitation may come from a different place, the result is the same. The ball doesn't come out when it needs to. The ball doesn't come out when it should. And it matters. How do we know it matters? Think back to the New England's game against Buffalo this year. And what the Patriots defenders were saying in the wake of that game, they were asked, why did Buffalo's offense seem to have more success with Matt Barkley on the field? And what did they say? Because the ball was coming out quicker. It was coming out when it should. And when that happens... 
it can be sometimes tough to defend route concepts, even things you're familiar with covering, like the Haas concept that the Patriots defense has probably seen 8 million times thanks to training camp. And even though you might have the better talent in your secondary versus their receivers, if the ball is coming out when it should, it's sometimes very difficult to defend that. Will the ball come out when it should on Sunday afternoon? That remains to be seen. Then on Thursday, we had two shows for you. Up first was episode 170 of the Pat's Pulpit podcast. And in this segment, Rich and Alec talk about the matchup between the Patriots defense and this Philadelphia Eagles offense. All right. Awesome. Well, okay. Speaking of the the New England defense, how do you think they match up against this Philadelphia Eagles offense? Yeah, I mean, look, you, you mentioned it. They have Alshon Jeffrey and Jordan Matthews, um, who are okay wide receivers. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey had a lot of potential. I think he's been inconsistent, injury plagued. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is a name that you may have heard of, but I don't think there's really a Patriots defensive back that doesn't win the one-on-one battle against any of these receivers. And I'm very curious to see what the Patriots linebacking core and defensive line does against Carson Wentz because he's been very skittish back in the pocket uh, this this season especially. So I think it's going to be a lot of confusion up front, a lot of that state worker defense you talked about where one guy's hands on the ground, a lot of guys standing around. I think the defense has used this bye week to get angry, and I think they're going to be very aggressive and pressure the, 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 the Eagles a lot. And I'd like to see it get out of hand early. I'm not going to predict that just yet, but I can see them getting a lot of sacks and forcing the Eagles to go very short with their completions, which I don't think really is the the strength of any of the receivers. So if they're forcing a lot of checkdowns, Darren Sproles, who's still in the league somehow, God bless you, Darren <laughs> Sproles. I think he's been a great Patriot. I feel like he's the kind of guy you got to watch out for because the receiving backs out of the backfield might be – just like the Patriots are going to have that strategy, uh, according to you. I think they might adopt a similar philosophy to prevent uh, any kind of defensive getting Carson Wentz early. So it might be a lot of short passes for both teams, not many offensive possessions. So it's all about if the defense can get there quick enough. Yeah, well, uh, the guy that I want to watch out for uh, didn't really play too much against the Chicago Bears in Week 9, but uh, he has the best name I've ever seen, Boston Scott, running back. Uh, <laughs> this seems like the game that he would break out in, right? I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with this, your analysis of them. There isn't too dominating of a wide receiver oh with the Eagles right now because Alshon Jeffrey has been battling an ankle injury. Uh, and then Aguilar is a slot receiver. He's going to get matched up in my mind against Jason McCourty. And then you'll have Alshon Jeffrey on the outside if he's able to go and he'll get the matchup against Stephon Gilmore. Uh, and if not, then I can see Gilmore getting matched up on Zach Ertz, who's very much just like a big slot receiver coming out of that tight end spot, not a big blocker, but he is the top target for Carson Wentz. And with that in mind, I would see uh, Stephon Gilmore being the Patriots' top defensive back getting that matchup, uh, and that would allow Patrick Chung to get the the other matchup against Dallas Godert, their other tight end. But the way I view this Eagles offense is how much they rely on their running backs. And so they have Miles Sanders, who's more of their receiving back, but he's also a good runner between the tackles. He leads the team in yards from scrimmage, over 300 rushing, 300 receiving. Uh and then there's Jordan Howard, who is kind of their bellwether uh, running back between the tackles. But you're only going to have one of those guys on the field at any given time. So if the Patriots are able to confound Carson Wentz, and I think they might be able to with their uh, their ability to generate pressure, they don't have to worry about Carson Wentz's mobility in the same way that they had to worry about Lamar Jackson's. And that's not saying that Wentz is not mobile. He's definitely able to get out and escape. But... 
there just isn't that same dynamism out of this Eagles offense that we saw out of that Ravens team that was able to capitalize on the Patriots with all of that misdirection and just just winning with sheer athleticism. And that's not going to take place here. And uh, that's kind of why my X factor is going to be uh, Jamie Collins, because he does have that athleticism. He's going to be tasked with making sure that Miles Sanders does not get free in the open field as a receiver coming out of the like as the running back, probably making sure that Carson Wentz doesn't escape the pocket and definitely being tasked with generating some pressure. So I'm going to go with Jamie Collins as being the Patriots X factor for continuing his all pro caliber season and really just being a one man wrecking crew against this Eagles offense. Also on Thursday, we had episode 39 of the SCO show, and I was joined by the one and only Michael J. Kiss to break down all things Philadelphia Eagles. And the clip I have to play for you requires a bit of an explanation. For those of you that don't know, Michael and I co-host a show together on Bleeding Green Radio, on Bleeding Green Nation, called the QB SCO show, where we talk about Carson Wentz a ton, and we talk about the upcoming quarterback that the Eagles are going to face. And in every episode... We open with a historical reference that we then tie into the quarterback that the Eagles are going to play that week or something else. This week's historical reference was about Robert Goddard and when he first promoted the idea of space travel back in 1920 and how everybody doubted him. And then the New York Times back in 1969 had to issue a retraction to what they wrote about him 49 years earlier. And we tie that into Mitchell Trubisky. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But we do it in every episode. And so I had to ask a question from Andy Likens, a Scotia listener, to close out the show. And Andy wanted to know from Michael what historical battle this upcoming Patriots-Eagles game reminded him of. And here's Michael's answer. I'm asking from Andy Likens, and he wants to know, Michael, what historical battle does this matchup most closely align to? So I love this question, and I'm going to take some liberties and, and kind of rephrase it. I hope this game is an extension of the Super Bowl, and you know which one I'm talking about. And by that I mean 39? I 39? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I know. I love it. I love it. Look, I, I hope this is just an extension of the Battle of Ein Jalut of 1260. Ooh. So the oh. Mongol Empire is expanding west into Europe specifically. You're talking about their success in Poland, Hungary, and the Balkans. You've also got the Mongols bringing the Middle East to its knees around the same time. They smashed through Baghdad, Aleppo, Damascus, and others, including the uh, eradication of the Order of Assassins, super interesting group. And left standing are the Mamluks. And the Mongols wanted Cairo. And Helugu Khan's mission given to him by his brother Monkey Khan was to deliver that jewel of the Nile to the Mongol Empire. And in a letter to the Mamluk leader, Kutuz, Helugu says things like, you cannot escape from the terror of our armies. Our horses are swift. Our arrows are sharp. Our swords are like thunderbolts. Our hearts are as hard as mountains. Our soldiers are as numerous as the sand. Resist and you will suffer the most terrible catastrophes. And, and it goes on and on like this in typical Mongol fashion. So Kutuz takes these Mongol envoys delivering this message. He cuts them in half and has their heads displayed, which at the time, Probably the last thing you wanted to do in terms of response to the Mongols, considering all their success. Now, Monkey dies, and this means that the giant death robot of the Mongols is left without a brain. So the operation from Helugu is left to uh, Kipuka, 
one of Helugu's lieutenants. And the bulk of the army is now withdrawn to attend the ceremony in Mongolia while they try to figure out what they're going to do from a leadership perspective. Or, or if you believe more contemporary historians, because Helugu was always going to withdraw the bulk of his troops to cooler land in the summer anyway. Regardless, Katuz takes advantage of this. And with both sides at about ten to 20,000 in strength now, the Mamluk cavalry breaks the Mongols, including the use of a feigned retreat that the, was a Mongol trademark. It marks the first decisive and irrecoverable loss of the Mongols. They are unable to avenge this loss, and it broke the cloak of invincibility surrounding the Mongols. So the hope is that the Eagles win over the Patriots in the Super Bowl is one that the Patriots never avenge, despite success elsewhere. And that starts on Sunday for the Eagles. And I certainly hope it's not the Battle of Arusio, where after several big losses, the Romans were able to subdue the Kimbri. So that that's that's what I'm hoping this is. Not Be, be the Mamluks, not the Kimbri. And then on Friday, we closed out the week with episode 51 of Patriot Nation. And in this installment... Pat and Spags were joined by LaVon Reed, Patriots beat reporter from WBZ and CBS. And in this installment, they talk about the return of Nikhil Harry and what that might mean for this Patriots offense. We'll see. I think he's going to play. He'll be inside the slot a little bit more than most people think he'll be in. Um, I, I do think he'll be outside the numbers here and there. But I think outside the numbers, as Philip Dorsett said, a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I, 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 they need to figure out how to replace that tight end spot. And maybe... That's where um, some seam Nikhil routes Harry run seam routes like that. Right. Nikhil Harry steps in to do that. They just have to figure out, you know, like suppose he turns into, and I'm, I'm just using him as a body type. Suppose he turns into Shannon Sharp, that type of body type where right. he's fast and you can put him on a linebacker and you can't cover him. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. But. You never know. I, I mean, mean, he's the biggest. Somebody, I think he's the biggest yeah. receiver now. I, I think he was even a little yeah. bit bigger than Josh Gordon, which is crazy to think. He's the biggest one they got, if, if I can remember right. He lost. I can say this. Like when, when I was at training camp, we were all like, he's got to lose like 10 he pounds. He was huge. And he lost, he lost about 10 pounds. He lost about 10 pounds. But, I mean, yeah, right yeah. now he looks like Anquan Bolden. And I'm, I'm like, well, like, he plays like Anquan I'm Bolden. Okay well, that, I'm, exactly, okay I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm fine. Like, okay, be Anquan Bolden. Right. Yeah. I think we'll take that little rookie of the year action. That'd be nice. I mean, not that he's going to win rookie of the year at this point, but no. But uh, great stuff there from Spags, from Pat, and of course from Levon Reed, who you can check out on WBZ. And folks, that will do it for today's installment of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. The next time you hear from any of us will be after this game on Sunday. We should have an instant reaction show as well as hopefully a glorious victory installment of the Sco Show. But until then, friends, please remember. That from the front office down to the coaching staff, the advanced scouts, the college scouting department, and yes, the host of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, there are no days off.